0: You're listening to the Journey to Impact fireside chat series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day all people and planet can thrive together.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Poetry of Impact podcast. Joining us today is Sherry Sobrato Grissoni, Eric Grissoni. Sherry is passionate about her work with children facing serious illnesses and their families. She's also founder of the Digging Deep Project, which activates the healing power self-expression and helps kids build emotional resilience. Also, she is a family member of the Sobrado Family Foundation. Eric is an impact investor with a love for adventures. is also co-founder of the Residence Philanthropies and managing director of Sobrado Impact. And I'm proud to announce that this conversation with Eric and Sherry is brought to you as part of the partnership between Poetry of Impact and Tonic. Welcome Sherry and Eric. It's great to have you here and it's always fun to talk about a couple that, that's in the world of impact. And I know both of you have your individual projects, but um, I'm also interested in potentially exploring where there's overlap and, and how those processes work out just as family members, uh, especially if one comes from wealth and another one doesn't necessarily come in from wealth. I think that's a very relevant question for a lot of couples um, and it's also helpful in terms of providing guidance. Or how, how how other families are trying to navigate it as well, but I want to start off with um, where sort of your heart is. And Sherry, I it's, I know we talked a little bit offline about your um, past, and I've always said that people that are in the impact space aren't here just out of a vacuum, right? Or it like, or just out of like a non-referential moment. It's like the passion's growing out of a life visceral moment. So can you take us to that moment? Um, a lot of people know you, or if they don't know you, they know you about, uh, you know, as health and wellness specifically for, ch- for children's wellness and and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about how how you got to this point and, and why it's important to you?
2: Sure. Well, it really started with the volunteers that were in the hospital. I was one of those frequent flyers to hospitals when I was really little with a bunch of eye surgeries and appendix, tonsils, broken bones, and and the like. So I was used to being in hosp- in a hospital setting um, as a beneficiary, as a patient of for those caring people that worked in the recreation department and the playroom and the social workers. But I didn't really get the big whammy until I was in my 20s and I was hit with a very serious brain tumor. And that really turned my life upside down. And it really gave me a heart for the process that young people go through when they're traumatized. And for me, it happened to be a medical trauma, but any kind of trauma that that crushes their worldview and takes them from one place of being um, stable and thinking they're in control and that everything's going well to, to being, oh my God, I have no idea how to cope with this and I have no idea how to get to the next step. And there aren't a lot of tools out there because self-help books are really more for adults. Um, and I fortunately, when I had my brain tumor was a young adult, I was in my um, early 20s. I was also, you know, very interested in psychology I was a biology and psychobiology major in college. And so, you know, I was able to find some resources and I was able to highlight all those self-help books and try to dig my way out of it. But what if you're a little bit younger and you don't have those resources or you don't have the access to therapy or you can't afford it, or can't get there, or don't want to go there? Is there a way of teaching the skills of, of how to take charge of your emotional health and your emotional life? You know, is that something that can be taught um, even hopefully before the point of crisis so that it makes it easier for people to move through the waves and the journeys in life that we all move through?
1: So, Has that message been received? Or like, I mean, how has that message been received by the outside world when you had this moment in your twenties, I mean, you're obviously a little beyond your twenties at the moment, uh, but I'm just curious, yeah. how, you know, about how that mission has been received.
2: Well, I think really well, I think that, um, in the beginning I, I would say less well, because I think preventive mental health wasn't really in the forefront of people's mind. Um, but when I created a tool for specifically for kids in the hospital setting, which was a journal writing and a book filled with colorful art and looked beautiful, it was like receiving a coffee table book that you could scribble all your thoughts and feelings on and it made it even more beautiful um, And it was just really something that was missing in the market. And I thought, okay, I had worked inside hospitals and I knew how impossible they are to, you know, get through the administration, get something new approved, get it approved by the psychologist. And so I made sure to present it to the people that helped me, which were the child life specialists in hospitals. And they just ate it up because it was something, it was finally a tool that looked beautiful to capture the stories of these young people. And It was something that was missing. And I was just so thrilled that people that were professionals in the field, and I was just a volunteer, you know, were accepting something that I had um, written with with a girlfriend of mine that that we had written and created. And I distributed for free all over the country. And in fact, I was so lucky with that particular project that we couldn't keep up with demand. We couldn't print books fast enough and ship them from Hong Kong and get them to all these hospitals all over the country. And so we had to make a digital product after that, uh, which is what I'm doing now. But it was, and that opens up, you know, wealth of possibilities to be able to reach out to not just kids in the hospital, but but customize the content and things so that it can really be um, available for all kids that are struggling with difficulties in their life. So I guess I would say, you know, shocked and pleasantly po- pleased that, you know, I had a space that, that, that was really needed, both for young people and the professionals and the parents who recommend it. I just sort of hit the jackpot. Next.
1: Yeah. So, it's it, it, so Eric, how, how has it felt sort of being in partnership with uh, Sherry in this context? Um. I, I, I don't know when when you two met each other, or like at what point did you come into like catch this mission stream? Um, and then I'd also like to know about the addition to where sort of you came into the stream of this. Uh, also, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how emotional intelligence um, plays out in like your own family with your own kids and. Obviously, this isn't just for children that are exposed to traumatic situations. There's a lot of value, just in emotional intelligence in general. And so I'd like to understand a little bit more about how it sort of overflowed and became a potential sort of guiding um, light for your own sort of kids as well.
3: Yeah, so we met in 2004. So it's been <laughs> it's been a while. And we met in, um, in France. So I was... Um, so I grew up in France, but then I was in the US for, for a startup that we took to the US. And then, then when I met Sherry, I was back in Paris for the same company. Um, and um, so I think the way I got into the stream of <clears throat> what Sherry is doing and, and the family is doing was very progressive because the also the family grew quite a bit in the last you know, 17 years. And, get structure much better on how to integrate spouses and next generation and so on. So I benefited and, and and collaborated to be part of that process for sure. Um I mean also uh just going to mention that here but the family is very open and very inclusive of spouses and so on, which might not be the case. I mean I know that some other family spouses don't have a voice at the you know <laughs> at the board or or whatever, which is not the case of the family and, and everybody in the family. So that makes it very easier to, if you want to, to be part of the overall stream or, or everything from the from the the business side to the philanthropy to impact and stuff like that. So that's. Uh, but on the on the emotional intelligence and what Sherry's project, it's. Um, it was also very progressive because when we met, we had no kids and the goal was to, you know, first love each other and <laughs> making sure uh, we wanted to have kids and having kids and put off, you know, our family together. We were living in France at that time and then we moved back to the U.S. So there was a lot of back and forth and the kids were young. And so she was not really, even though it was her, her passion, I, I think at the beginning of our life, she... Put a hold on some of these projects because she was not here in the U.S. anymore, so she couldn't volunteer. She couldn't work with the different you know projects she worked before she was in France. It was probably very difficult for her. She had to learn a new language, and French people are not easy. They like to <laughs> debate all the time, you know. So there's a lot of different things that she couldn't really you know she was in a different environment and couldn't really focus on that. And then when we in 2013 when we moved back to the U.S. and first we moved back to New York because. We say, why before going back to the family and to California, why not stop in New York? It's in between. <laughs> uh, we spent two years there. And that's when she started to work on her project, uh, the Digging Deep project and the book. Um, and also, she always included me you know, in some of the decisions. And so my background is in high tech. And for a French guy, I'm a sales, you know, I'm a chief revenue officer. So my whole life, I've been a VP of sales which is kind of weird in, in, the, in the US to, to have a French guy to manage sales, but that's what I do well. Um, and so, you know, so I have some expertise and some experience also on how to get a product to market and how to manage, you know, consultant businesses and so on. So she always included, and then it grew from there. So, you know, it grew, the book grew, then she decided to go digital. So I was also kind of involved Um not on a formal way, but like we always have conversation all the time. And uh, sometimes we disagree, sometimes we agree, but it's always enriching the, 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 the conversation. Um, what, someone...
1: what, yeah, I'm so curious about like, I mean, what does emotional intelligence look like to 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 you guys? When like either, I'm sure you're obviously a lead on, on this project, but when, when you guys are talking about it, yourself between each other um i mean that term can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people um and it's just sort of a wide has a wide potential lens for how it's interpreted i mean what's it look like um, to you guys when like you use that term
2: i can start to answer that um i think one of the main things is the permission to feel and i'll use mark brackets uh, from the yale center of emotional intelligence words for that but it's really and like you had mentioned how does it work between us how does it work you know in our family what do we represent and i think it's the um allowance of of space to have feelings and then to be able because people need to express themselves and express their feelings that's of course first but if they don't have the words to express it or if they don't have other forms whether it's words or art or Even using a computer, there's many different ways to express your feelings. But um, that process of going from um, just ranting and raving and just throwing out emotions to being able to explain them, handle them, and ask for help around those feelings, to me, that's emotional intelligence. And it's really what my project is about, is how to give young people those skills and and allow them space to do that and so both through you know our very cool mobile game called uh, shadow's edge they can gain those skills but we wrap the whole game world of shadow's edge with um social media around uh giving kids maybe one center kids i just mean teens young adults you know people younger than me and it gives them a chance to learn through our social media things, one trick at a time, one sentence at a time, one aha moment at a time, so that they can little by little by little gain those skills of emotional intelligence. Because without them, I really think it's very hard to find direction in life. It's very hard not to argue with people in life. It's very hard to know your place, find your passions. and, And that's all the kinds of stuff we teach. In an interactive and fun way, because if they don't take responsibility and actually do it, you can't really teach it. You can't lecture it. It needs to be an experience for them. It needs to be a journey.
1: Shadows edge or showers edge?
2: Shadows, shadows. Edge. Like, Like you have all your problems or your shadow that that's hanging over your head. Right. And at the edge of that, there's hope, there's possibility, there's newness, there's renewal. And that's what it's about. Shadows edge.
1: And how have you guys been able
3: to integrate, or maybe not? Um, have you been able to integrate this in into your own family? That's, um, that's the so first of all, she and I are very different. She's a professional, she's American, I'm French, and I'm much more you know intuitive. So everything I've done in my life is not by the book. So you know, I didn't go to Harvard, I didn't go to MBA, and I ended up you know managing these companies and so on. So it's all by the experience. Of my life, um, and we can go back to that. But my so our emotional intelligence is very different, for sure, in terms of background and the way we feel and react, and uh, and so um, so on one side, it's um, it's very interesting because we have very different ways of looking at things, and sometimes it's also challenging. And I think sometimes it's um, uh, to integrate, you know her learning or my learning into our kids or our family, um, you know, it's not as easy as you you might, you know, one might think it is because of the, her experience or whatever. So it's like, it's, uh, um, but you know, so I think we are smart enough to learn and to integrate and incorporate, you know, the best we can, so.
1: So, so I was just having this conversation with my wife and uh, we actually live in Reno, Nevada, which obviously uh, it got exposed to a lot of smoke like you guys did down in the uh, Silicon Valley last year. And it's likely gonna be worse this year than last year, um, sort of given the conditions. But she's actually in somatic arts and she's really into the um, creating uh, expression based on on what's going on inside of you through movement. So, so whatever's moving through you, you express it through movement and song and dance and so forth. And she was asking me, and she's really concerned about all this plastic, right? And the water system, right? In the waterways. And we're having this conversation and she goes, you know, at the heart of it is like, if somebody actually really could feel a connection with the natural world, we wouldn't be doing any of this nasty shit to, 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 to ourselves and to the planet, Right. And so I was really moved by what Sherry said. This allowance to um, a space for feelings. Are we just like, what is it? And let's go and assume that we are sort of numb, collectively numb. What? Let's back out and like, what are sort of the societal, biological, uh, structural, systemic? You sort of name, you know, the academic category that's studying it. Um, that actually leads to a certain amount of numbness that people just keep these feelings uh, essentially intact, unexpressed, and those results probably exist in the world in a way that's essentially not just harmful to Earth, but harmful to their own bodies and their own psyche. And so this is a question for both of you, because um, I want to get at it as potential for you as well um, there, Eric, in terms of climate change, because we always talk about the technology answers and all this kind of stuff, why we have climate issues and why we have uh, trauma issues like psychological trauma issues by saying, what is it that's leading to this general collective numbness of us being Earthlings upon the planet Earth?
2: Well, I think part of it is the kind of collective numbness comes from a place where people feel that they have to have a different front, a face than what's really going on for them. And sometimes that's a conscious decision to hold things inside. And sometimes it's a decision, not even really a decision. It's just that we're faced with a lot of going on, whether it's school shootings or trauma or, you know, anxiety around environmental anxiety um, or teasing at school or whatever. And and they just have to power through it. So it's a defense mechanism, right? It it, it helps you get started and moving um we cope by using our strengths i think and i think that when um when faced with something whatever the way we are some people are internalizers and some people are externalizers but we just do whatever we way we've coped before and we just push forward and we do it more and more and more and more we just become an extreme version of ourselves and i think it works until it doesn't work anymore you know at yes. some point you know you crash and it's too big for your coping mechanisms whatever they were And this is just my own personal philosophy on how people dig themselves out of a difficult situation or find newness and wholeness about themselves is they really are challenged to the opposite. If what they were doing doesn't work anymore, they really have to do the opposite. So in other words, if you're a thinker, you have to learn how to feel. If you're like overwhelmed in your feelings, you have to learn how to think. And so in that way, I think that people can move forward. If they have guidance and what's really hard is to do that whole process on your own, because self-discovery takes a long time anyway, even if you have guidance. And I think that there can be amazing tools, either people to work with, programs to work with, uh, ways to express yourself. Um, There's no right answer because it's really depends on each individual and what resonates with them. Because nobody wants to feel pushed. If they're not somebody who likes to pound pillows, um, they're not going to be the person that's going to receive benefit from a program that teaches you how to pound pillows harder or better or whatever if they're not people who like to scream, they're not going to benefit from, you know, a program that says, Hey, let's just yell and get it out." I mean, believe me, these things exist. If they're not artistic, they're going to feel uncomfortable with getting paint all over their hands and mud in their hands. If they're trying to make sculpture, it's not going to be helpful to them. And I think it's really just experimenting with things and, and seeing what works, but I can honestly say one of the best things from my personal experience in working through challenge was when I realized how to be more expressive, I realized I could connect with people. They didn't have to have a brain tumor and almost die for me to connect with them. In fact, I never met anybody my age that had brain tumor that almost died. But I was able to connect so much better with people when I could just be my authentic self. I know that sounds trite, but I mean, it was a big change for me you know, to just, just be who I was. And then I started connecting with other people and encouraging them to be Who they were, and I think that that takes away a lot of that—that numbness. Is once you start to feel it, can you feel a lot? You feel everything. You feel other people. You feel yourself. You, it, it, and and, uh, it helps people connect in a a different way than they've they've been able to connect before.
1: Oh man, I love that idea of sort of the counter response of like introducing a counter response as a way to sort of rebalance it. That you're a feeler, and that it is thinking. So it's not like you're putting the holy grail on one particular vertical and saying that thinking better, feeling You know, bigger saying that there's a that there's an aspiration toward wholeness, which involves a lot of different uh, essential faculties and skill sets and, and just ways of receiving and also expressing the world. But, and 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 Eric, how does it? How does that translate? That numbing that emotional intelligence and allowance for feelings into the climate space.
3: Yeah. So my, my experience is, um, is different in a way where very early at very early age, my parents always took me to climbing and, you know, mountaineering and hiking and, and I grew up sailing. And, and so even though we didn't have a lot of money we always had these experiences like camping and being very close to the environment and to feel you know i mean i don't want to I mean to be cheesy but you know to feel the trees to feel the rocks and to feel the water and um, and to this day you know for me what i'm doing is is because of these feelings i i i, I really feel i'm connected to the you know, like two weeks ago, I went, I went rock climbing in in uh, in Bent Smith's work and spent a week rock climbing. You eat a sandwich, you drink some water, and you spend your time. You know, it's hot and the rock is hot, and and that's what gave me the connection to do what I do. And so I think people are numb because because they don't feel that they, they are not connected to the to the earth, they are not connected to to the trees, to the, to the water. And, but well, then they don't care. And it's very hard to make, if you're not connected, it's going to be very hard to make you feel <laughs> that you can change something. You know, most of the people I meet in climate change, oh, it's too big. I cannot do anything. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, just stop buying. And we are not perfect, but stop buying single-use plastic when you go to Safeway. Stop, you know, doing this and doing that. And um, But yeah, so... Uh, but it's still hard, even for her. Sometimes, you know, the, the the consumerism and the society is really pushing you to be numb. So it's hard to to uh, to not um, fall in line with with everything else. And um, but what is interesting, like even though that's everything who I am, it's you know, it's still I'm personally frustrated that my kids. I don't feel that they have that connection today, even though we we we. Take them to Chamonix. We take them skiing. We take them climbing. Um, so they are more interested in a TikTok and you know <laughs> stuff like that, yeah. which which is challenging. So even though I think they have between she and I on the emotional intelligence and then on, on 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 the feelings, and she also has these feelings with you know the water on the mountain and the hiking, it's still very hard to get your kids to appreciate the same way you do and um so i think it's a constant challenge <laughs> i mean i don't know some way you you are born numb i guess like <laughs> and then the whole life you have to try to um you know because you're like you know it's like the pink floyd they have a song like com- comfortably numb so you're comfortable when you know you know it's easy you just go with the flow and you don't really think about it And
1: yeah let me ask you something about because we're all part of a group called Tonic, which is uh, you know, a network of investors. And I mean, and I'm curious about how like what parts of privilege uh, create conditions for anonymous, right? And uh, like where like where of you as either parents or as just adults just moving through space and time with your own life. I've just been conscious about how that privilege is transformed. And, and I'm just speaking from a material privilege. Like, I don't know much about the balance of your life besides I know as a result of being a tonic, you get that certain amount of resources in order to put the work. And the reality is, is that, I mean, that's a top, you know, the top sort of 1% are able to do that um, at scale. What I'm interested in is like, how do you maintain that aliveness with those conditions? Right, And I mean, it's something that I'm always thinking about myself. It's like, I never want to lose my, lose my aliveness for the sake of the material world. Um, and I'm curious about how you two navigate it, either individually as a couple or as a family, um, this notion, because since you're already aware of, of what emotional intelligence looks like and requires an allowance for feelings, let's just step back and say just the whole sort of system that you live in uh, how how have you navigated that dance?
2: Personally, for ourselves or for our families,
1: it can be either. Yeah, it can be either.
2: Well, like I said, I think, and I, I think Eric agrees that early experiences that that lead to passion, connection, and heart. And, I mean, for me, for sure, it was my early experiences in the hospitals and and all that. And I thank God all the time that I did have that because I wasn't that 25, 35, 45, or even 55-year-old person trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their life because I knew, I knew from experience what I wanted to do. And now that we have kids where, you know, they're only um, 12 and 14 now, but, you know, how are they going to discover their passions? Um, And our son, for example, is, you know, both our kids are extremely talented art, but in particular, our son, and he knows um, that he wants to do something artistic, but that could go a million different ways. I mean, is it going to be, you know, graphic arts or is it going to be doing sets for, you know, um, the theaters or is it going to be, you know, designing video games? You know, who knows? And I just feel that. Again, it's that guidance thing. It's it's that exposure because if you don't get out there and try a bunch of different things, how are you going to connect to anything? Um, You know, I hope that my kids don't have to have a major life crisis, you know, for them to discover what it is that they want to do. And I think that that's been part about at least. I feel, you know, part about how we've brought them up is we not only exposure them to the great outdoors and different places all over the world. They've been to many different countries. We expose them to experiences. We take them to those places and have them serve Thanksgiving dinner at shelters. We have them hand out food for a second harvest food bank. We take them to Giving Tree and have them, you know, select packages and line them all up for the different receiving children's organizations. Um, and they can imagine what it must be like to be on the receiving end of their um, their volunteer work and their giving back. And I think that that exposure has been super important for them. Um, you know, same with um, trying to connect them to to causes in the world we had them to participate in um, SB2 teens, which um, is supported by the... Um, SV2 organization uh with a grant that that young people work together to figure out how are they going to give this money to what cause and to who and how to best use it. Uh, do they divide it up? Do they give it to one organization? Do they do environment, education, arts? And um, it was a good experience for them to work through with other young people to talk about, you know, well, this is a cause that I care about because I went to to Indonesia, for example, and picked up plastic bottles all over, you know, many different remote islands because that's where the junk winds up. Or, you know, I'm interested in this because, you know, my mom talks about it at home around the dinner table. I mean, it's just interesting to start hearing those conversations of our kids when they're talking to their peers.
1: I bet. I bet. Eric, did you have something to add to that? Oh. <laughs>
3: I uh, don't think so. Um, so the the so yeah, I mean we we are privileged for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean we're trying to give this experience to the kids where they understand where where you know the privilege that they have, and so they can um, navigate their own way. Um, I don't know. I don't have I, I, mean, I mean, to me, the, the, the main thing that the privilege value is you buy time. So I don't know if it makes sense, but like, you know, I'm not, obviously we have a nice house and so on, but, but I think what the privilege gives you is the ability to gain time and do what you love during that time. And so if you're numb, then you're stuck. So then you go back to work and you keep working and keep you know, making more money and stuff like that, which is not necessarily our case, but like, um, yeah, so like, you know, and, and if you find a way to be passionate about what you do, whether you give, whether you climb, whether you say or whatever, and you're going to have more time. And I think this is uh, you're going to die one day. And that's what, to me, Privilege is it's not to have a jet, it's not to have a big house, it's to have more time. <laughs> Does that makes sense?
1: Yeah. yeah. So we're moving toward the end of our conversation. Yep. We're just curious whether there's something uh, on balance uh, that was unexpressed in you that you'd want to share uh, that was a part of this conversation or not. Um, and then, uh, yeah, because, you know, I mean, there's always stuff that comes up for people that that's unexpected that may not... Uh, uh, You know, it's it's had a chance to actually express itself. So I I always like to give people a chance to to share what um, may have been unexpressed for you.
2: I guess the only thing I would that comes to mind is. That it's fine to just take small steps and just get started, whether it's making a personal change in one's life or in how they manage their family or getting involved in philanthropy or active service, for example, like say maybe they've been a, a money philanthropist, but not a time philanthropist. Maybe they haven't you know, had the courage maybe to go in to meet some of the clients, some of the organizations that they support. It's not like you have to completely change your life. I, I think it's fine to start small. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Try a different direction. Or if you're exploring passions to get started, you know, I think the biggest thing is feeling paralyzed. Or like, especially with all the... Everything going on in the world. If there's um it gets hard to know like how one person's small action can make a difference. And and I think switching directions, I mean, that's one reason I think Eric and I get along so well is we don't get overwhelmed with trying to make a decision. We just make one. And if it turns out like maybe that's not the best decision, or we can add to that decision in a new way, you know, then we then we change course, but we don't we don't sit paralyzed. And I think that um, when you look at all the different opportunities there are to make a difference in the world, and or all the different choices that we make on a daily basis, um, it can be pretty darn overwhelming if you try to always make it right all the time. And and I think there's small steps we can all take, whether it's you know being better about our environmental presence or being more expressive or some of the other things that we've talked about today. I think that 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 would be one closing thing I would hope to that people are encouraged to, to give give change a try.
3: you I'm sure it came out with the way what, what I've been talking about but I think having a passion in life whatever it is is going to be a way to to give a way to live and you know um, and yeah without a passion whatever it is is going to be is going to be very hard I think. Um, and that's what I'm looking you know I'm not concerned about my kids going to have Harvard or not Harvard. I'm concerned about them having a passion about whatever it is. I mean, I'm not going to judge what is that passion. But, you know, I, based on my personal experience, I know that if they have a passion, they're going to be okay.
1: Yeah.
3: Regardless of the rest. Privilege, no privilege, whatever. If you have a passion, you're going to be okay. And so that's what I'm hoping we're able to develop in our kids. Sherry,
1: so. Eric. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you so much. And I want to thank you for joining us today on the Poetry of Impact podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you're using. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com.